1: Quarterbacks are on the move around the NFL, and it has nothing to do with their mobility. It is going to be a wild offseason at the quarterback position, and Major League Baseball swinging for the fences with some new changes, proposed changes for the MLB postseason. They are wild. They are bachelorette-like with roses being handed out in prime time. It is a Tuesday, home and home, a Radio.com Sports original. We're brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Check them out, ZipRecruiter.com. Enter, they are the smartest way to hire. I'm Dave Briggs. I'm home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker, he is home in Pennsylvania. We'll go to the home market of the Dallas Cowboys later on. Talk to Mike Fisher about the future of the quarterback position for the Dallas Cowboys. You thought that? Was one of the more stable spots around the league. But today is February 11, 2020. On this date, 30 years ago, arguably the greatest upset in the history of professional sports, Buster Douglas knocked out Iron Mike Tyson, who was 37 0 in Tokyo. We'll talk to Jeremy Schapp, Emmy Award winning reporter director of 42-1, to the 30-for-30 on the Buster Douglas knockout. We'll talk to him shortly. Should be a fascinating conversation. But we start at the quarterback position, Mr. Ross Tucker. How you doing, my friend? What is happening in Dallas at the quarterback position? It looked like... A done deal, they would sign Dak Prescott to a long-term contract somewhere in that neighborhood of 35 million per year. And then came Michael Irvin and shook everything up around the league.
0: Yeah, evidently, I'm not buying it at all, Dave. I got to tell you, I really am not. I'm not buying Brady the Cowboys even a little bit. I'm not buying the Cowboys not getting a deal done with Dak Prescott. Now, I don't know who Michael Irvin is talking to, who are these important people are that he has since clarified are not from the Dallas Cowboys. So how important can they be if they're not from the Dallas Cowboys? That would utterly shock me if the Cowboys did that. And frankly, I think it would be a terrible terrible short-sighted decision if they went that route I am putting exactly zero point zero percent stock in the possibility of Tom Brady going to the Dallas Cowboys there's a bunch of teams that I think are much more likely than he is I don't know if this is posturing by the Cowboys with the Dak Prescott contract negotiations or maybe this is just The publicity rock star that Jerry Jones is, knowing that speculation about the Cowboys and Tom Brady would be good for business, a lot of attention, a lot of discussion about the Cowboys. And you know what? Maybe it doesn't hurt all that much in the negotiations with Dak Prescott while they're at it.
1: It is the mother of all negotiations, if that's what this tactic is all about for Jerry Jones, the NFL's number one businessman who leads the most valuable franchise in all of professional sports. Now, we referenced Michael Irvin, who got this started on WEEI Sports Radio in Boston, always on the Radio.com app, when he said he had talked to some significant people at the Super Bowl about this theory that the Dallas Cowboys franchise tag Dak Prescott and then sign and trade him they get two first round picks and then they sign Tom Brady to a free agent contract and that got everyone talking and everything stirring and Michael Irvin then had to walk back these comments a little bit on Sports Radio 105.3 in Dallas clarifying exactly how significant these people were that he spoke to. Listen.
3: Let's just start from the top, okay? You go and you say what you said. You clarified it on Twitter. Let, go ahead and clarify because you only get 140 characters or whatever on Twitter. Right, right. And first of all, I didn't clarify anything. I, I, I don't have to clarify. What I said was what I said. I said I talked to significant people. That means people that are in the know of these kinds of situations. Now I didn't say I talked to Jerry. So what I what I don't like is when when you when I said I said exactly like I said. Then people come out saying you know in an article when Michael talked to people in the Cowboys organization, I never said I talked to anybody in the Cowboys organization. So when an article comes back out saying Michael's walking back, I'm not walking back anything. You guys wrote wrong. So so don't don't, don't put it on me like I did something wrong. When you didn't do your work, uh, uh, and not talking about you guys in particular, I'm talking about, you know, the people that wrote these articles, as if I had a conversation with Jerry Jones or something like that about it, and I never said that. So so yeah, that's all interesting there. But those conversations I'm talking about, I, had, I really had. I was as shocked as anybody else is shocked to hear, to, to hear about a possibility of that possibly happening blew my mind also. That's why I kind of – Trying to so express that with people when I said, I, I enjoy vodka cranberry. So, uh, uh, so, you know, I enjoy oh, it. Yeah. I had to put down that vodka cranberry and say, wait a minute. Some of us have some more conversations about this. Like, I need to know if this really is a possibility, which I don't think it's a possibility. But but I did have conversations with people about it.
1: Michael Irvin, 1053 in Dallas on the radio.com app. We'll get into the vodka cranberry shortly I love this idea I absolutely love I dream of this idea of signing Dak Prescott to the franchise tag trading him to I don't know let's say Miami for two first round picks they can take Tua they sign Tom Brady I love this idea which means it's a horrible idea I'm not a Cowboys fan I'm not a Cowboys front office member if I were I would say this is a horrible idea I love this idea because I'm a member of the media, technically speaking. I'm someone who wants something to talk about that is fantastic, that is interesting, and that ultimately has to fail. That's why I love this idea. It's a freaking terrible idea if someone inside the Cowboys organization is really thinking that 42 year old Tom Brady, who's getting worse, is a better option than Dak Prescott who's 26, getting better, threw for nearly 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. That's almost 1,000 yards more than Brady and six more touchdowns than Brady this season. This is a horrible idea if you're a Cowboys fan or front office member. It is a terrific idea if you are in the media, if you're not a Cowboys fan, Ross. Does anyone actually want Brady over Dak at this point?
0: I, I I would be, I'm sure there are some people that would be very, very short-term oriented if you went ahead and did something like that. Uh, they do have a good offensive line. They do have some weapons. But I would be surprised if Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones wanted to, number one, take that short of a view of, the nucleus that they have built, the core of this team for the next few years, I just don't envision them doing that. Then there's so many variables when it comes to whether or not you could draft a guy like Tua that to then say, that's what you would do. You you don't control that. I mean, if they had the number one pick or the number two pick, maybe, maybe, Or if they could trade up and you felt like they could easily get him, maybe. But that's not the case. I'm just telling you right now, Stephen Jones had a quote, and that's the one that I take into account the most, where he said things are going to start to heat up with Dak because they have to make a decision concerning the franchise tag. I don't think they want him to play in a one-year franchise tag. I don't think Dak wants to. I think they probably end up getting the deal done either at the franchise tag deadline or again in June when it's the end of the last chance to sign somebody to a long term deal. I don't think Dak wants to play on that one year deal again. The only caveat I would say to any of that, Dave, is that if the Cowboys believe that because Dak had that pressure on him, because Dak was playing for a new contract, if they somehow feel like he plays better that way, then maybe they would have him on the franchise tag for this year. But that would be very poor long-term planning for the Cowboys because it'd be a huge cap hit for them for this year. And then next year, he would have all kinds of leverage out the yin-yang And you'd still have to sign him to a long-term deal. And he'd only be more expensive
1: then. Yeah, it, it kind of feels right now like it might be heading the Kirk Cousins direction with the Washington Redskins, again, slapping that franchise tag on Cousins and then ultimately watching him walk at the end. It sure feels like the Dallas Cowboys, at the end of the day, like Dak Prescott a lot. Do they love him? It doesn't feel that way, but maybe that demand is around the $40 million a year mark, which only one quarterback in the league deserves, and his name is Patrick Mahomes. If he's asking for a dollar more than Russell Wilson makes, I'm the Dallas Cowboys. I have to make the same move, make him earn that contract throw the franchise tag on him without a doubt. If that's his demand, he's not a $40 million a year quarterback. The numbers are great. He is getting better. He is 26. He is nowhere near the league of Russell Wilson and or Patrick Mahomes. If I'm the Chargers, I would certainly consider the deal where you acquire a player with the franchise tag, sending those two first round picks, because I don't think the Chargers get a great quarterback where they are. I think two has gone at Miami, which leaves you with that group of quarterbacks that include Justin Herbert. And I don't, love Herbert, clearly. I don't love any of the quarterbacks that the Chargers are going to get there. This is just a very intriguing... I don't know which quarterback situation has more intrigue. What Dallas does with Dak or where Tom Brady ends up, but it's going to be a terrific postseason... offseason, just watching the quarterback position. And that was the subject of our poll question this morning. At RDC, home and home, which quarterback... Do you want for the next couple of years Tom Brady, Taysom Hill, who we'll mention in the news, and Philip Rivers, will mention also in the news. And right now, no surprise that Tom Brady is the lead here on our poll. Almost 67% of you say he's the guy you'd want for two years. I think what's a real shocker here is that Taysom Hill, 20% of the respondents to this poll want Taysom Hill for the next couple of years, and we've only seen him as a gadget player. No clue what he looks like as a starting starting quarterback, and we'll get to Taysom in just a sec. But let's start with Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers is a free agent. He and the Chargers, and I hate this quote: mutually parting ways. As of yesterday, no one mutually parts ways in this situation. I've had uh, employers mutually part ways with me in the past. I was let go. Philip Rivers was let go. They don't think he has anything left in the tank at age 38. Uh, Philip Rivers has thrown 15 interceptions on average for the last six years. He is a interception machine at this point rivers double digits in interceptions 10 straight years for context tom brady 12 of the last 13 years single digit interceptions. so that just gives you a sense of how many picks philip rivers has thrown over the last decade what's interesting also about the philip rivers news is ross when the nfl posted on Instagram that the rivers and the chargers are mutually parting ways. Tom Brady liked that story on Instagram, sending people in Boston into another frenzy. Why does he do that in your estimation?
0: You know, I I've given up a long time ago, Dave, trying to figure out why Brady does some of the things he does on Instagram especially as it relates to Antonio Brown, because I really don't get it. I'm really surprised that a guy as buttoned up who understands the importance, right or wrong, of everything he does, I'm surprised that he's liked the Antonio Brown stuff, the Antonio Brown post on Instagram, and I'm kind of surprised he liked the Phillip Rivers and the Chargers you know, parting ways, you know, maybe it's just a a story that he liked, but it's like people read into it. Does he like that the team's parting ways? Does he like that the Chargers have an opening? Like, you know, no matter what Brady does right now, people are going to read into it. And I'll say this about Phillip Rivers. Dave, I'm fine with the Chargers moving on because that's really what they're doing. Uh, They're electing to move on. I think if they really wanted Rivers back in a major way, I think he probably would be back, you know, if yep. they were willing to pay him. But I think it's a fine time with the with the Chargers moving in their new stadium. It's a fine time for them to move on from a 38-year-old quarterback. I've got no problem with it. I'll just say this in terms of the interceptions. You know, he has been behind and trailing a lot more often than Tom Brady. He also has a much worse offensive line from a pass protection standpoint. Now, look, there's no question he doesn't take care of the ball as well and that he's more careless with the football, especially this year than Brady is. But I think you also have to understand those statistics in context a little bit and not just take them for gospel if you will because those guys have been in very different fourth quarter situations and it feels like if you watch the red zone on sunday at approximately 7 10 p.m eastern time (laughs) philip rivers team is always trailing and he throws a pick to end the game every week i mean that's 16 picks right there because it seems like every week red zone you can almost lock that up
1: yeah, now some of those situations are of, of Philip Rivers' own making. So, yes, he's been behind more than Brady. Some of those are of his own making. And now the question of where Rivers goes at 38 at this point. Sixth all-time in passing yards. Isn't it interesting? Him, Eli, Roethlisberger, 6, 7, and 8 all-time on the all-time passing list. So where do we want to see where is a realistic fit for Philip Rivers now at age 38? For me, it's a no-brainer. It's the broadcast booth. This guy is one of the great shit talkers of all time. He as a Bronco fan growing up. Just loved to hate Philip Rivers. You never see quarterbacks talk smack like Philip Rivers has over the course of his career. I hated it, but I would absolutely love that personality in the broadcast booth. We've also got the bolo tie bring the bolo tie into the broadcast booth i'm all for that now it's not clear if with his 19 kids and all down there in uh in florida that he wants to take on that kind of a grind which the the broadcast booth is these days it's a lot more work than some would actually imagine so does he want that kind of a grind at this point i'm not sure but i would certainly i would watch him more than Any current or former player right now, sign me up for Phillip Rivers in Monday Night Football. I believe he would be outstanding, and he's got to stick to his true self. Don't wear what they tell you to wear. Wear the bolo tie. Don't say what they tell you to say. Be you. Be Phillip Rivers. Be that punk-ass quarterback that I've watched over the last several years that would be outstanding. Some feel like he should get another shot and the Colts look like a realistic landing spot. I just don't understand where are you as an organization? Like Ross, if you sign Phillip Rivers right now, is he a quarterback that can take a good team um, with all the right pieces in place like the Colts? Is he a team that could take you to the next level, get you to a Super Bowl? Or are you just kind of staying in that uh, slightly better-than-average category, Philip Rivers is your quarterback.
0: Yeah, I, I think he is still capable of taking a team that's really talented mm. a long way. I think that he will probably be deciding between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Indianapolis Colts. I think he'll he'll maybe be torn between those two teams, my guess is he ends up with the Indianapolis Colts. Like, let's not forget, okay, in 2018, that was exactly last season, you know, not this past year, but the year before that, the Chargers were 12 and 4 with Phillip Rivers as their quarterback. 12 and 4, which is very impressive, especially when you consider they were in the same division as the number one seed Kansas City Chiefs. He threw for 4,300 yards, 68%, 32 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Look, he had a bad year this year. There's no way around it, but they were decimated by injury. The offensive line was horrendous. He spent multiple years with Frank Reich in San Diego with the Chargers, and I tend to think Frank Reich thinks – he could t- take rivers for the next two years and make a pretty good run at this thing in the AFC South and beyond.
1: Greg Olson was awesome. The Carolina Panthers tied end in the XFL booth over the weekend. Do you think any player would make a bre- better transition from the field immediately into the broadcast booth than Phillip rivers? Or am I on, on my own in that one? Do you want the Bolo tie in the broadcast booth?
0: I think he'd be good. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'd be curious to see it. You know, just because somebody has one demeanor when they're on the field isn't the same as, you know, being in the broadcast booth. I'd be very curious. I, I mean, I think both he and Jay Cutler are very interesting from a broadcast standpoint because I think they both have a lot of potential Uh, if they were, I would call it unconventional, if they were able to be themselves and be really natural in the broadcast booth, I'm not sure that's what would happen. Obviously, I think that's what we would want, Jay Cutler to kind of be uh, demeaning and uh, short. and I think Jay Cutler has the potential to be hilarious if he really calls it like he sees it. I'm just not sure. You know, it's one thing to do stuff like that when you're on the field or you're a player. I think when you're actually behind the camera and you put that suit on, I think it's harder for guys to quote unquote be themselves.
1: Yeah. He, he could be interesting. And that, that is the interesting question. Would he be the guy we see on the football field? I'm not sure about Cutler. I hear he is in demand as a Bronco fan was not a fan of the personality of Jay Cutler. And let me just tell you all of Broncos nation was not a fan of the personality of Jake Cutler. He rubbed all of Denver the wrong way with his lack of leadership, his looking down, his being bitter and angry, but uh, take, give me Rivers any day over Jay Cutler. So as to our poll at RDC Home and Home, only 12% of you say you'd want Phillip Rivers as your quarterback for the next two years. The fascinating part about that poll is only 12% want Rivers want Taysom Hill from the New York Saints, who we have never seen be anything other than a very fascinating gadget guy and one of the more interesting players in fantasy football history for the Saints because he can do a little bit of everything. He can run, he can throw, he can block, and now he says he doesn't want to be a gadget guy telling the Associated Press. If the Saints don't view me that way as a franchise quarterback. Well, then I have to leave. That's what Taysom Hill gadget guy and currently third string on the depth chart for the Saints. He is a free agent like breeze and Bridgewater. A lot of moving pieces for the new Orleans at the quarterback position and Taysom Hill Sign me up for that. Yeah, I have been riding the Taysom Hill thing. I guess I am I am eating all the, the buzz. I'm taking the bait on Taysom Hill. I cannot resist staring at the sun in this case. I think the possibility of him as a franchise quarterback for a team that is, look, I don't want him if I'm the New England Patriots right now. Uh, I do want him if I'm, yes, my team, the Denver Broncos. If we didn't have Drew Locke, who looks like he has some potential, I would love to see Taysom Hill as the Broncos starting quarterback because we've been locked in mediocrity for a couple of years at the position. Why not take a shot? Why not go big on something that could pay off? It's a lottery ticket. Now, I don't want him to get a Nick Foles-like four-year, $80 million deal. Not entirely clear what type of contract he will covet, but I'm buying, Ross. I'm taking Taysom Hill as a franchise quarterback. I think there are five or six teams that could use the asses in the seats and the energy. And quite frankly, I think at the end of the day, I think the guy can play.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, this is sort of laughable that there's any uh, momentum right now about him as a quote-unquote franchise quarterback. Is it possible? Absolutely. And I'd love to see him get the chance to be a full-time quarterback somewhere. But I think you'd have to be totally willing to build your entire offense around him like the Baltimore Ravens did with Lamar Jackson. Now, have we seen enough from Taysom Hill for a franchise to say, you know what, this guy can be Lamar Jackson. We are going to totally change our entire offensive system to build around Taysom Hill based on him being 7 for 15 in his career throwing the ball in the NFL And oh, by the way, he turns 30 years of age in August. You know, there's this misnomer that he's like this young guy. He's not. He also got hurt three times in college, season-ending injuries, and what? Ended up playing six years of college football as he kept getting medical red shirts? So let's just think about this for a second. You are going to totally change your offense for a guy who's seven for 15 in his career throwing the football and he's 30 years old and he has a extensive injury history. Well, you better hope you're right because you're fired and you're fired pretty quickly if it doesn't go well.
1: Yeah, you're right. I, I am fired and I'm going to take a chance and I'm going to roll the dice and I'm going to make that lottery ticket play if my team feels like we're just stuck in quicksand. Uh, Jacoby Ellsbury, uh, look, I, I think there's five or six spots around the league that feel like you're quicksand. You're just stuck there, but you'd need a Greg Roman. And I don't know how many Greg Romans there are around the league, probably just one Greg Roman, how many offensive coordinators that could make it work with Taysom Hill at the quarterback position? Cause yes, you would have to change everything. You certainly can't come in and run the existing Denver Broncos offense. And, and Pat Shermer is certainly not going to work with that, but there might be a couple of teams that want to roll the dice and yeah, they might get fired just like me. What do you think? Do you want Taysom Hill as your quarterback? Well, 20% of you say you would roll the dice with me, I applaud those twenty percent of you at RDC home and home. All right, it is February eleventh, two thousand twenty. Thirty years ago today, what might have been the greatest upset in the history of sports? Buster Douglas knocks out Iron Mike Tyson. Was it the greatest upset of all time? The director of forty-two to one an Emmy-winning reporter for ESPN, Jeremy Schap will join us. And Ross Tucker weighs in next on some very important chairlift uh, behavior. What is the protocol on a chairlift? Do you talk to the stranger next to you or do you shut up and stare straight forward? Guess which Ross did. We'll discuss it next. Codable co-founder
0: Gretchen Huebner experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a new game artist to grow with her education tech company. But then she switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference. And you can too, by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And by using ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter candidates. Gretchen found it easier to focus on the best ones, then find the right one. In fact, after posting her job on ZipRecruiter, Gretchen said she was honestly surprised she found qualified applicants so quickly and hired a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ziprecruiter.com enter. That's ziprecruiter.com E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter, the
1: smartest way to hire. 30 years ago today... Buster Douglas, with arguably the greatest upset in the history of sports, knocked out Iron Mike Tyson, who was 37-0 with 33 KOs. Jeremy Schapp is the director of 42-1, the 30-for-30 documentary on that legendary night, joins us in just a couple of minutes. I don't know, was it uh, Miracle on Ice? Was it UMBC over Virginia? A lot of great upsets in the history of sports. Also Mike Fisher, one Oh five three in Dallas sports radio. There tells us what is the future of Dak Prescott in Dallas? Are they going to franchise tag and trade him or can they get a long-term deal done? It is a Tuesday home and home. at radio.com sports original and we're brought to you by zip recruiter. Check them out. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. They are the smartest way to hire. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut, and Ross Tucker is home in Pennsylvania. And Ross, uh, on the slopes where I will be next week, it is vacation week for the kids. I'm heading to Colorado, hopefully get up there on the slopes a little bit where you were recently, Ross, and found yourself with a difficult question, and it's one of etiquette. Chairlift etiquette when you're riding with a stranger can be a complicated path. It's kind of like train etiquette for people out here in New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Boston. When you're sitting next to a stranger, do you strike up a conversation or do you just sit there and look down at your phone, Ross? How did you play it?
0: You know what? It's interesting that you talked about it in light of like the train because when I am on a plane or on a train, I purposely – don't make eye contact and I don't engage because I've got work to get done when I'm on those two vehicles. I don't want to have a conversation. I don't want them to be asking me questions because if I'm on a plane or a train, that is work mode for me. And in either case, I have something I'm reading or a computer in front of me. So like, no, I'm not I'm not trying to have that. I feel like on a chairlift that is more leisure, that's pleasure not business. And I feel like that's a great opportunity. You're outside, you're in the you're in the environment, you're on this lift and you know there's a finite time. It's not like a plane where you could be the guy, you don't have a three-hour conversation. A chairlift is the perfect conversation because you get out of it what you want. You find out where the person's from, where else they ski, whatever, and and maybe that's it. Hey, have a great day. You too. See you later. Boom. I love it. It's like an elevator conversation. It's perfect. I love talking to people on chairlifts. Because I'm curious, especially now that it's skiing season. I go right from football season, Dave, to skiing season. And so the last two Saturdays, I've been at a local mountain. We're kind of fortunate. There's a mountain that's only 30 minutes from our house where our daughters go ahead and they get lessons from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., which is amazing, by the way, Because my wife and I, we go with them early. We ski a couple runs with them. Drop them off for five hours. My wife and I are able to ski. We have a nice leisurely lunch. It's unbelievable. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much we're paying for it, but I would pay a lot more because it is awesome. (laughs) But Dave, my wife and I have a disagreement when it comes to chairlifts. I like to engage Maverick. If there's a single or another couple on the four-seater, I like to be like, hey, how you guys doing? Where are you from? My wife says to me, Can you just talk to me? Can you just not say something to them this next chair lift? Can you maybe just talk to me or just be quiet? She does, she does not enjoy it as much as I do. So it's tough. And we've been in this situation, other aspects of life. It's tough, Dave, because then I'm like, okay, I won't, and so then I'm like, so how's how's what, how's work going? What what do you want to do tonight? Like, right, I already right. know what we're doing tonight. We're going to dinner that night. I'm gonna to talk to her in the car. I'm gonna to talk to her. So uh, my wife and I disagree, and I'm curious to get your opinion and your opinion in general on chairlift yeah. conversations, and then in particular. What do you do if your wife would prefer if you did not engage?
1: Yeah, so a quick question, and I'll give you my opinion. Does she position herself between you and said strangers on the chairlift, preventing you from talking to strangers? And if she did, would you just talk right over her to the strangers? It doesn't go that far. Like, she doesn't think
0: it through that much, but I am typically on – I almost always try to position myself on the end because I'm not a good middle guy. I'm I'm too big. I'm too, I I don't like being in the middle. I like being on the end. So quite often, yes, I am talking over her to the, uh, to the other people on the (laughs) the lift. You know what though, Dave, you know what though? Yeah. She ends up liking it a lot of times because, Cause there are people in, in our instance, it's, it's interesting. I mean, how many people are from Baltimore that they come up to the central Pennsylvania area to ski. And there are a couple other ski areas within 35, 40 minutes. So it's good for us to talk to them about those other mountains and which one they like the best and why. Like I, I, yeah. I am an information seeker and I get info from them that I think is helpful I almost never tell them anything about us. I don't give a shit about me. or I already know everything going on in my
1: life. I'm looking for more information. So I'm glad that there are people like you, but I'm not a person like you. Um, and, And the trouble I have with the chairlift etiquette is there's no real out for you on a chairlift. Whereas if you're on a plane or if you're on a train, you can put up with the conversation of the Ross Tucker next to you for five, maybe 10 minutes. And then you like pull out the laptop or you pull out the phone or you put in the headphones and you make it clear. I am done with this conversation, but on a chairlift there's no real out because I'm not pulling out my phone on a freezing cold chairlift. But then again, it's only usually a five to 10 minute ride up that lift. So my genuine, genuine, uh, etiquette there is, I'm not a big talker on chairlifts because I find it one of the most enjoyable, peaceful moments of my life. Riding up a chairlift, sun shining on your face. I'm closing my eyes right now and envisioning it. Little breeze, no noise whatsoever other than the slight humming of a chairlift. It is such a peaceful moment that I generally, I don't like to have the chairlift conversation. Not a big fan of the train conversation, Not a big fan of the plane conversation, but again, I'm happy. There are people like you because I think our kids need to learn how to do that sort of thing. They don't like it. Like they're, my kids are viscerally uncomfortable if, and when I take the opportunity to have a conversation with a stranger, they just don't understand why I'm having a talk with this random guy. And I do that at Dunkin' Donuts sometimes uh, when I'm just sitting there and and they're having a, a donut and I'm having a coffee Kids don't like it. Kids now interact through Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and TikTok. And they really don't know how to have those random type conversations. So I guess I'm hypocritical in that I don't really have a lot of them. But I'm very happy there. are chatty Cathy, Ross Tucker's everywhere. But again, you're kind of hypocritical because you don't have those conversations on planes and trains. When What if someone strikes up a conversation with you on a plane how do you play it off
0: um i am friendly but i do one of the things that you suggested very quickly which is i start looking at my laptop and typing i start doing something on my phone or writing notes you know i i don't think i ever have to get to the point where i'm like okay i'm done talking to you but i i think i i do make it clear to your point that I am no longer interested in this conversation because work is the priority over talking to this random person. You make a great point though, by the way, about our kids and that's, I'm gonna suggest to my wife that we split up on the chairlifts a little bit, each take a girl so that they can see what it's like to engage in those conversations. And that I think that's a very, very important aspect of life, being able to have those conversations. And there are times when I just soak in the atmosphere if it's nice, but especially on these short chairlifts at a smaller mountain, I, I, I like to, uh, I like to learn more about the people that are on there.
1: Did did you ever get a phone number? Did you ever get an email address? Come on. How far does Ross Tucker take the chatty Kathy? Did you ever like, Hey, maybe we should get a drink sometime. Maybe we should have lunch no I don't go that
0: far I will say this though just to wrap this up there was a kid maybe a 12 year old that this is when it kind of ended my wife was like okay that's enough because I I asked the kid a question and to your point Dave he looked at me like who is this dude trying to talk to me right now and why (laughs) Like he just kind of grunted and then I asked something else and he kind of grunted again my wife looked at me like doesn't want to talk. <laughs> and I was like, right. okay. he was on the racing team. He had like a racing r- jacket on. I was like, all right. Then he, I I proceeded to ask him where he lived, and and he said like two minutes from here. I said, what town? He said, I don't know. He's like twelve. I I don't know. There might have been something wrong there. I don't know.
1: Yeah, we, we may have gone into a uncomfortable territory. We'll revisit this later in the program. I'm happy there are chatty Catholics like Ross Tucker because our kids need to be taught a lesson. My kids squirm when they sit next to a stranger on a plane, and I enjoy them squirming. That's when I do engage in conversation to make them feel a little bit more uncomfortable. All right, today is February 11th, 2020. What happened? exactly 30 years ago today. Well, arguably the greatest upset in the history of sports happened. It sounded like this on HBO Sports.
2: It's over. It's over. Mike Tyson has been knocked out. Unbelievable. This makes Cinderella look like a sad story. What Buster Douglas has done here tonight. Let's go ahead and call it the biggest upset in the history of heavyweight championship fights. Say it now, gentlemen. James Buster Douglas, undisputed
3: heavyweight champion of the world.
1: That was Jim Lampley, HBO Sports, 30 years ago today. Let's talk to a man who's the director of 42 to 1, ESPN's incredible 30 for 30 documentary on the fight that happened that night that rocked the world. Jeremy Schaap and a uh, multiple Emmy award winning reporter and a fantastic looking gentleman. Westport's Finest. Yeah. Oh. Good to talk to you Jeremy Schaap. How are you my friend?
2: You are you're full of it Dave. But thank you. I appreciate all <laughs> all those nice things.
1: <laughs> so Jeremy, was good. it We're good, man. It's it's Dave and Ross Tucker's here. Was it to you? the greatest upset in the history of sports. Yes. I mean, I, I, I better feel that
2: way after spending so much time uh, doing stories on the 20th anniversary, the 25th anniversary. And then last year with the 30th anniversary around the corner uh, uh, working on that documentary 42 to one, the 30 for 30 about it. To me, it is just, you know, it's the greatest upset in sports history. Um, You know, there are different ways, of course, that we can define our terms. But to me, um, based on what people's expectations were for that fight and who Mike Tyson was at that moment in time, you have to put yourself back in early 1990 and uh, think about how big Tyson was. He was the biggest sports star on the planet. He was 23 years old. I think at that point he was 37 and 0. 17 first-round knockouts, um, there were a lot of people, smart people, you know, not, not, not dilettantes who thought at that moment in time he had already demonstrated he was the greatest uh, prize fighter who had ever lived. And Buster Douglas, you know, it's interesting, too. I mean, we could go on. You know, it, it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a one-punch knockout. 42-1 to is unheard of in a heavyweight championship fight because we always say one punch can change anything with the big guys. But it wasn't a one-punch fight. He dominated him. He won arguably every round other than the eighth in which he got knocked down. So, uh, yes, biggest upset.
0: Jeremy, great to talk with you. Big fan. I I did watch um, the documentary, thought it was fantastic. Um, One part I forget about it, that I, I wanted you to refresh my memory. You know, growing up, this is, I was born in 79, right? So Tyson was, when I was really into it, playing the video game, the whole deal. And I remember how big of a deal all his fights were Spinks and all that stuff. And we all watched, but something tells me that the, the the Buster Douglas fight was like at midnight in Japan or something really weird. And I'm curious. It it was in the afternoon in Japan. Japan? So that
2: what happened was, so it was actually fought uh, lunchtime in Japan so that it could be seen late prime times in the U.S. It was on regular HBO. I think the fight started, I think it was noontime in Tokyo. So it was like 11 p.m. on the East Coast on a Saturday night. And the point was having the fight in Tokyo, uh, Tyson had actually fought in the first event at the New Tokyo Dome a couple of years earlier against Tony Tubbs. And he had a global following, and he had an especially large following in Japan. And nobody, as, as John Johnson, uh, Buster Douglas's manager, says in our documentary, no one would pay one cent to see Mike Tyson fight Buster Douglas in the United States of America. Uh, in Japan, Don King's thinking was there was still enough interest in Tyson that it didn't matter who his opponent was. So that's why it's kind of it's weird atmosphere in the tokyo dome because it's a sunday afternoon um and it's very quiet uh it's it's extremely quiet and the japanese crowd isn't quite sure of how to react because they're watching something well not only that they didn't expect it no one expected which was buster douglas taking the fight to mike tyson from the very first few seconds of it but back home You could watch it on regular HBO, but most people weren't paying any attention. It was, you know, winter Saturday night, uh, and it was late, and uh, there was no buzz for this fight because everyone fully expected Tyson to walk all over Buster Douglas.
0: Yeah, that's kind of how I remember it, Jeremy. And then the other question, which I think is a difficult one to answer, but, and Mm. I know, and you and I both know it's a combination. (laughs) You and I both know it's a combination of both. But if it's a, if it's a pie full of blame or credit, how much of this is blame for Tyson and his training and how he entered the fight and how much of it is credit that goes to Buster Douglas? Is it 50, 50 each, or do you give one side of the other more of the credit or blame? Well, as you say, you know, the way I answer that question, Russia is here, here's
2: a, uh, Here's what a champion is obligated to do, right? He's obligated to show up, and he's obligated to prepare for the fight. Mike Tyson didn't think anyone was worthy of being in the ring with him. Now, if he had been fighting Evander Holyfield that night, who was in the crowd, and you know, that was going to be the next fight, the mega fight, do so I think Mike Tyson would have approached it differently? Yes, but we have this, this tendency to make excuses for you know, Tyson when he wasn't out of shape, he was 23 years old. He didn't have a cold. You could make a lot more excuses for Buster Douglas what he was going on, uh, what was going on in his personal life at that point. His mother died three weeks earlier. The mother of his son uh, had, was seriously sick as well. There were a lot of bad things going on in his life. He used all those things uh, to motivate him, to inspire him. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying you're doing this, but, you know, you could you could always say you know did did Lennox Lewis show up when he was fighting Oliver McCall and Hasim Rothman and lost those fights? No, but that's you know that's the obligation. And if Buster had lost, nobody would have been making excuses for him that his head was in another place or this or that or whatever it might be. Um, did, did Mike Tyson, uh, you know, sleepwalk through his training? It looked like he was in pretty good shape. He was sparring, you know, uh, regularly. Uh, but there's no question, you're absolutely right, that Mike Tyson did not take Buster Douglas seriously. But again, he didn't take anybody seriously. I don't know if it was a Bonecrusher Smith seriously or Tony Tucker seriously or Tony Tubbs. That was who Mike Tyson was. That was part and parcel of his invincibility and that aura of invulnerability. When everybody thinks you're
1: untouchable, you start to believe it yourself. Talking to Jeremy Schapp, 11 time Emmy winner, outside the lines, host, director of 42 to 1. Incredible doc on the fight if you haven't seen it. Uh, look back and found a great quote from Sports Illustrated's Pat Putnam, who speculated that Buster would last as long as a plate of tuna in a sushi bar, Uh, obviously just one of the many great quotes before this fight. Can you give us some context on how big a news event this was in terms of just how it resonated around the world? It's one of the few, where were you when you heard this news in sports in our lifetimes? Yeah, there are very few, right? I mean, I'm 50. I think you're a little bit younger than
2: me, Dave, so you might not have the same memories of, say, the Miracle on Ice. Now, we, we have sports memories, right? All of us, of our teams doing certain things. But, you know, in, in the U.S., you know, that's pretty regional. It's, it's pretty provincial. But in terms of the whole world, with one sports moment that kind of shocked everybody and made everybody stand up and pay attention. I guess there's some global soccer and arguably, I guess, cricket events like that. But as Americans, something that everybody, it seems, remembers where they were when it happened. To me, it's it's really just a miracle on ice. And I was 10 when that happened. And this, which took place uh, almost exactly 10 years later. And it was huge it was a huge story, and um it continued to be a big story for several days afterwards, as Don King kind of fought the result along with Mike Tyson you know, ended up, there know been a long count in the eighth round but it was um it was uh you know uh, on a level an order of magnitude almost we can't compare anything that's happened the last twenty years in sports uh actually inside the lines that kind of moment um it was So shocking, so unexpected, and it was also, on top of all that, I wrote a book about another great heavyweight upset when Braddock beat Bear in 1935. That was a huge upset. That was about the backdrop of the Great Depression and what Jimmy Braddock had been through, but that was not a good fight. It was a lousy championship fight, and Max Bear didn't show up at all. This was an incredible—you watch this fight. It is is thrilling. It is a great 10 rounds, even as Buster— is entirely dominating, and he gets up off the can- canvas in that eighth round after taking a shot that would have killed other men, I think. I mean, it- it's-, it's a prototypical, consummate Mike Tyson uppercut, which I- it's a miracle that he got up, that he got up no problem, and then he finishes him off. The next round, the ninth round, he pummels him, and in the tenth he finishes him off with a remarkable flurry, a series of combinations. It- it's-, it's still exciting. 30 years later. However, it was not the biggest thing that happened in the world 30 years ago today, February 11, 1990. I don't know if you guys are aware, but just a few hours after uh, Mike Tyson was knocked out by Buster Douglas, Nelson Mandela walked free for the first time in, uh, I think it was 26 years.
1: Holy cow, I did not know that. I I think I, I thought you were going to say Dominic Wilkins won the NBA Slam Dunk Contest. I think it was also the same that was. That was, <laughs> yes, yes. What but a remarkable day. I walked
2: out of, what was it, Vic, I think Victor Burster Prison is where he had been for a few months, uh, if not a couple of years, um, after being moved off Robin Island. And, and that was the day he was freed. It was a few hours after uh, the Tyson fight.
0: Jeremy, uh, I wanted to ask you about another project you worked on recently, um, and I haven't had a chance to check it out, but I know some of my buddies and former teammates were talking about it, about Drew Bledsoe, who was my quarterback in Buffalo for a couple years. Right. awesome guy, incredibly generous guy. Uh, I guess I have two questions on that, Jeremy. One is if you can talk about, you know, what was most interesting to you about your conversation with Drew and also – when is the re-air? Because I got to DVR that. I want to watch it. Oh, that's a good I, question. I scrolled uh, through my, my cable thing today trying to look for when it's on again because I didn't know it was on the other night.
2: Um, I will get back to you on that, Ross. I'm not sure when the re-airs are. I know that it's, it's scheduled to run a lot. But it was, it was a lot of fun working on that project. And as you say, Drew is a generous guy. He's uh, a warm guy. He's got a great story to tell. He's obviously a very bright guy as well. And I think he was just at a place in his life in the last couple of years where he said, you know what, I'm ready to tell my story. And he really opened up to us. And I think um, a lot of people were moved by it. And it's kind of that big picture, right? You were with him in Buffalo where he was fantastic uh, that first year. And then he loses his job to J.P. Lossman. And then he goes to Dallas, and he loses his job to Tony Romo. And of course, before either of those things took place, he lost his job most famously to Tom Brady in New England in 2001. And so here is this guy, right, who's arguably a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's certainly borderline Hall of Fame type quarterback. When he retired, top ten all time, and all the meaningful statistics might still be, uh, I think. And and yet, when people think of him, they think of him as, as this guy who lost his job to Brady. They might think of him also as the guy who lost his job to Romo if they remember that. And as the guy who missed out on the dynasty, who was not present for it. But when you go back and you look at how remarkable that story is, you know, he got them, he won two AFC title games. He got up off um, he, he got up and and won that championship game at Pittsburgh in two thousand one, which put them in that Super Bowl, which Brady would eventually win. And so You know, my big question with with Drew was, you know, what is it like, you know, being this star, being this all pro and multi time pro bowler? And then, you know, when people think about you, they think of you as the guy who got Wally pipped, uh, if you want to put it that way, by, by Tom Brady. And how do you wrap your head around that? And how do you find peace? And he's found it. And, you know, it's through family and it's through applying himself to this wine business he has now, which is extremely successful. And he's just, um, you know, he's a guy who has, I think, uh, a lot of lessons uh, that are valuable for other people to hear. And it's not just about football.
1: E60, Drew Bledsoe, better with age, will re-air Sunday, February 16th at 1 a.m., 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. on ESPN (laughs) News. I am here for your ESPN promotions, Jeremy Schaap. Thank you. And while we have you, uh, I want to ask you about Bob Knight returning to Assembly Hall. First time in 20 years over the weekend. It was an emotional love fest in Indiana, surprising to some. And when a lot of people think of Bob Knight and his relationship with the media, they think of Jeremy Schaap. And this legendary ESPN interview, we have a quick clip.
3: And
2: you have a real faculty for doing
3: that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, No, I don't think it's anything to really
2: be too proud of myself. Uh, I think when I talked about Pat... Bob, you came here to do an interview. I'm asking you questions. When I talked, well, then let me finish the answer. Is that okay, Jeremy? Is that fair enough? Please go right Have I interrupted your questions yet? Yes. No, I haven't. You've
3: interrupted my answers with your questions, and then I've tried to get back. So let me finish this. You've got a long way to go to be as good as your dad. You better keep that in mind. Ah. I Uh, appreciate it.
1: Oh, the legendary Bob Knight taking a shot at you. I thought you did an incredible job in that interview, but it seemed like the coverage over the weekend, Jeremy, was basically all glowing and embracing of Bob Knight and his legacy. There wasn't a whole lot of discussion of Bob the bully. How will you remember him? Well, you know, actually on on Outside the Lines, we were on
2: uh, that morning 9 and 10, and
1: We did a roundtable
2: discussion about it. Actually, I I felt like I was the guy, strangely enough, at that position uh, who wasn't focusing on um, the negative, the bullying, the choking, and that's all there, the abusive behavior. But my my fellow panelists, uh, I guess it was Ryan Smith and Jen Latta and Will Kane, they they were certainly talking about it. Look, I I think um, Bob Knight will be remembered as one of the great basketball coaches of all time. Um, he'll also be remembered as somebody who came to stand for a lot more than basketball or sports. He was a symbol of a certain way of thinking, a certain kind of tough love. He was the biggest figure in the state of Indiana for two or three decades. He wasn't just a basketball coach. So he touched um, he touched a lot of people and he touched a lot of raw nerves. He was certainly a, a bully. Um, he he certainly did things that there's no way he would be, be able to get away with today and last as long as he did. Uh, but having that moment at Assembly Hall, you know what, I thought, I thought that was moving and it was touching. You could see the genuine emotion there. And of course, it wasn't Indiana that didn't want him back all this time. It was Bob who would not return after having right. been fired on September 10th, uh, the year 2000. So, you know what, I, I think the lesson from the weekend was Um, you know, don't, don't let these things go, go on too long because, uh, I I think Bob would have enjoyed, um, being back in the embrace of that crowd a long time ago. He didn't have to wait this long.
1: Yeah. Complicated legacy. Indeed. I had one interaction with Bob Knight after an Oklahoma basketball game, I asked him why Lloyd Noble was so difficult to play in, and he and he just went off on me, saying if it if it were a 12- or a 15-foot basket, then it would be hard to play there. At the time, OU had won 40 straight home games, and then he walked out of the press conference, and that was my one legendary uh, interaction Wait, with was Bob. Was he at Indiana or Texas Tech? Texas Tech. Well, what's...
2: What year was that? Do you remember what year that was, Dave? I don't. I feel like but I might man, at that game. Me. <laughs> anyway, uh, <and laughs> might have been at that
1: press conference, Bob's a legend. The general back in the community there in Indiana is good. Jeremy Schapp, awesome to have you on the program, my friend. Check him out on Outside the Lines E60 again re-airs the 16th, 1 a.m. ESPN News, and check out 42 to one. Get yourself on ESPN Plus. It's incredible. Jeremy, good to talk to you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, Ross, real quickly, I want to get your take on greatest upset of all time. Interestingly, Darren Ravel had a poll about it this morning in which the respondents, more than 9,000, say the miracle on ice is easily the number one upset all time. UMBC, the 16th seed over Virginia, the one seed, comes in at number two. Tyson losing is number three.
0: Yeah, so... The, the U.S. ice hockey thing is kind of before my time, right? So yeah. I'm obviously aware of it, and I know it's the biggest deal ever and all that stuff, but I guess I wonder sometimes how much of it is the biggest deal ever because it was the biggest upset ever or how much of it's because it's nationalism and the Cold War and all that stuff. So, I don't know. Somebody else that's older than me would have to explain. I know it's a really big upset, mm-hmm. but in the ones I've watched, it's Buster Douglas over Mike Tyson, even more so than UMBC over UVA. Now, I didn't know if we'd ever see a 16 over a 1C, but I kind of thought at some point it has to happen. Buster Douglas beating Tyson at the time, you know, when I was, I don't know, 9 years old, I guess I was 11 years old, Mike Tyson was invincible. Like, I didn't think UVA basketball was invincible like Tyson was. And nobody gave any thought to Buster Douglas somehow beating him. It was all Holyfield, Holyfield. So I'm still going with Tyson number one.
1: Yeah, recency bias has UMBC in there. You're right. Virginia, the way they could – lacking offensive production, that's – I mean – Historically significant, but for me it is the miracle on ice in terms of how unbeatable that Russian team was and the young, unproven amateur USA squad. But again, I was uh, four years old at the time. Much better recollection of Buster Douglas. Quick break here. When we come back, Major League Baseball swinging for the fences in some big-time potential changes to Major League Baseball's postseason. What do you think of those changes after the break?
0: Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a new game artist to grow with her education tech company. Then she switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference. You can too by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com enter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you, and by using ZipRecruiter screening questions to filter candidates, Gretchen found it easier to focus on the best ones, then find the right one. In fact, after posting her job on ZipRecruiter, Gretchen said she was honestly surprised she found qualified applicants so quickly and hired a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it is no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com E-N-T-E-R, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.